Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel in Hookson. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. If you're being encouraged or challenged by this teaching, would you consider giving us a five-star review? That review and rating moves us up the list so others might find us more easily so they too can benefit from this podcast. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Motion, commotion. If you have not been with us for the first two weeks, I hope that you'll go back and listen to parts one and two. We're on part three um, this morning. And the reason that, that I really felt led to jump into a series like this is because I've looked across the landscape of, of the human race, and then I've, in particular, been a pastor now uh, for about 12, 13 years, a lead pastor, and um, an associate pastor for five before that, and I've kind of noticed that, and this is sad, sometimes Christians are the ones that are the worst at managing difficult emotions. It almost seems like Christians are, are almost emotionally handicapped at times, and, and the reality is that, that that should really be the opposite. And one of the reasons that should be the opposite is, is what Stephen uh, led us in worship uh, this morning, what he talked about is that God has sent us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And not only that, uh, prior to your salvation, if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you recognized that before a holy God you were guilty of sin and you came to believe that Jesus Christ was God the Son, God in the flesh, that He lived a perfect life and that He died on the cross, paying the penalty for your sins, and that He rose from the grave. You came to recognize this and believed this, and then you acted on that faith and you cried out to Jesus to be your personal Savior. You not only have the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, but you have a living Spirit within you, the dead Spirit that you were born with, was made alive. And so now we have something that the world and those that don't know Christ do not have. We have both a living spirit within, and then we have the Holy Spirit, a direct connection, spirit to spirit. And because we have this, we have an advantage. But this is what I've often noticed, and, and this is my own life. This is not a picture of me. I'm trying to change the slide, guys. This is not a picture of me. Um, Obviously, it's a woman, but she looks very um, calm and peaceful. She looks like the kind of woman I would want to be married to. I mean, I mean you guys enjoy that. You come home, uh, and the first thing you get when you walk through the door is your husband or your wife just exploding, going off on you, right? You enjoy that? Somebody spoke with experience there. No, no. Absolutely not. Um, my dad, I love my mom and dad, but my dad used to come home to this. 
Do you know what your sons have done? Just, and of course, we, we most of the time deserve that, maybe. We had the water fights with the, you know what margarine is? The bowls of fake butter. See, some people, kids, they have water fights with water guns, you know, maybe stuff like that. Me and my brothers, we would have a water fight by filling up the tubs of, the empty tubs of butter all throughout the house. Full, remember that one? It was awesome. Good time. Nate's sick, so he's not here listening to this. Uh, covered the house with water. That was when my grandmother faked a heart attack on the counter. That was that day, I think. She was like, oh! And she falls across the counter, and she gives us all PTSD for the rest of our lives. <laughs> Listen, this is, this is a picture of someone who's out of control. Out of control. Her emotions have risen to a point where uh, she is not concerned with the consequence of her behavior. See, we, we need to separate emotion from behavior. Emotion is how we feel. Behavior is how we act. So weeping is a, is a behavior that's usually associated with sadness. Sometimes uh, weeping can be associated with anger. And so we want to separate behavior from emotion, but here's a, here's a picture of this, this. She has lost control. And so I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture right now. Just, um, it's a memory verse. I have it in my head. It's not on the screen, but here it is. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. And for those that maybe you're not quite a believer or you're a believer today, but you're kind of walking far from God and you're, you're wondering, well, what is the righteousness of God and why does it matter that the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God? I want you to think about this. Everything that is right, everything that is good, everything that is true, that's the righteousness of God. And some people that are so offended by Jesus, now Jesus doesn't agree with everything that we believe and do. Jesus is God. He is perfect. But Jesus is so awesome. We would want Jesus as our best friend, even if he didn't agree with us on every little thing. You follow? If Jesus doesn't agree with you on every little thing, he's still the very best among us. And that's the righteousness of God. It is the goodness, everything that is good and holy and just and pure. And so when we say the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God, it doesn't work anything that is good and holy and righteous and pure. And so when I've done some counseling with people, I've given them a meditation verse, See, not a memory verse. Memory verses are great. If you just memorize it and you don't meditate on it, it can't begin to change your mind. But when you start to meditate on these things, man, change can happen. Change can happen when we meditate and we change our thought process. And you start to think this, the wrath of man, I'm going to shorten that verse for you because we know what righteousness of God is. It's everything that's good. It's everything that's perfect. It's everything that's harmless. It doesn't harm. It does good. And so if you have a hard time memorizing things, here it is. You ready? The wrath of man doesn't work. Just about everybody here should be able to memorize that. The wrath of man doesn't work. So what is wrath? It's uncontrolled anger. Wrath is uncontrolled anger. It leads to bitterness. It can lead to hatred. It can lead to a caustic and, 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 and a horrible attitude. I was actually speaking with, uh, with a couple this morning, and, and um, the wife of this couple confronted me a number of years ago now. I had come into the pulpit here, and, and I had come to realize how much legalism had hurt Christians 
And I'm still, can I, um, listen, I'm still angry toward legalistic churches and legalistic Christians because legalism has, has left a landscape littered with bruised and broken and believing Christians, right? So I can be angry at that. Anger is not a sin. Wrath, when it moves into that uncontrolled area, that's when it becomes harmful to self and harmful to others. And that's where I was going toward. I would preach with this caustic bitterness. My anger was taking control. I would say certain things in certain ways. Although I was sticking to the truth, I was saying it in a way that wasn't helpful. And I want to thank God that this young lady had the, the courage to confront me because it helped to change the course of my ministry. I'm still angry, but I'm not bitter. I'm not caustic. You follow? Confrontation, by the way, is healthy when it's done well. And she did it incredibly well. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel, you feel overwhelmed. I'm going to need some help, guys. You feel overwhelmed. Um, your emotions are out of control. You, you just can't seem to get a grip on it. When we, when we started out last week, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this uh, today because I want to get through the message and uh, maybe get you out a little early with the storm, but I addressed mental illness last week. And, and I want to thank God that mental, the stigma surrounding mental illness is beginning to fade. It used to be, if you just prayed harder, if you just had more faith, this would be all over. And the same people that said that, they don't believe in faith healing necessarily. They, they, you know, they believe God can heal, but if you broke your arm, they'd send you to the doctor to get your arm splinted and then cast it. And the reality is, there are some mentally ill people. Now, some, some mental illness uh, can be uh, created by our own thought patterns over a long period of time. But essentially, there are some people that are mentally ill to the point where they cannot control their emotions and they need some medicinal help. The waves of emotions that they deal with are so powerful that their ability to reason and think are completely overwhelmed. That's not the average person. And so if you're here and you're under a doctor's care, this series is not to alleviate you of your need for medication. But in my studies, and many of you know, maybe you don't, my, my eldest daughter developed psychosis, that's a mental illness, and along with the psychosis came anxiety and depression. And in my studies, what I found was the most successful treatment in the area of mental illness is not medication by itself. And it's not counseling by itself, but a combination of the two. So if you fall into the realm of mental illness and you need medication, don't take this message as the antidote for your medication. However, what I've learned is this as well, that medication by itself does not eradicate your emotions. It doesn't remove your responsibility to reason with your emotional self and to handle yourself well. It should be bringing you from a level that is uncontrollable to what we would call a more normal level 
where now you can take responsibility for yourself. And this is what we need to learn. And the scripture talks about emotions. Um, the scripture actually talks about God's emotions. We're going to go through this really quickly, that God has emotions. God gets angry. God gets sad. God is joyful. Right? We, we looked through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Godhead, all three experience emotions and display emotions. Jesus loved. Jesus wept. Jesus was passionate and angry. And we saw the display. Uh, his sadness brought about tears. His love brought about restoration. His anger brought about tables that were turned over in the temple as he drove out those people that were, that were taking advantage of the religious that were coming to the temple. He drove them out of there and said, my father's house is a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. And so we saw all these emotions on display in God the Son. We see him in God the Father. We see him in God the Holy Spirit. And so therefore we can determine that emotions are, are indeed godly. They are of God. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I don't need no stinking emotions. Uh, you're not Data from Star Trek Next Generation and neither are you Spock. Right? We're human beings created in the image of God. And so emotions are not only godly, but they are also good. They're innately, innately good. Because they're a gift from God, they're good. Listen, I know I got junior high kids and above here. Sex is a gift from God. And it's innately good when it's used appropriately. Right? Some Baptist churches have this bad habit of making sex to be something dirty and nasty and evil. And we take our tack from the world. And that's wrong. Human sexuality is a beautiful thing. It's a gift given to God's children to experience within the confines of marriage. And when, when our human sexuality is found within the confines of marriage, in other words, folks, you ought to be married before you're engaging in sex. But once you're married, it's a connecting activity. It's an activity that builds intimacy. It's an activity that distinguishes the marriage relationship from all other relationships and elevates it. So it's good innately, but it can either be harmful or helpful, just like the other gifts that God gives, our emotions. Emotions can cause great harm, or they can cause great good. And so we're going we're to talk a little bit about that this morning, continue on our road. Um, last week we talked about hope. If you're here and you've kind of lost control of your emotions and you're that person that flies off and, and just starts letting it rip, and, and we talked about how anger is like a drug, Right, those endorphins that are released flood your brain. Everything takes a back seat, and you just start spouting everything off that comes to your mind. Before you know, you're not thinking about it; it's just going right through. And once you get on the other side of that funnel of that anger, once you get on the other side of that wrath, reason comes back, and you go, "What did I say? What did I do?" There's hope for you. There's hope for you. We went through uh, this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it really quickly this morning. We're not going to go through all the background uh, of, of Timothy's fear. Uh, but again, go back, watch the video, YouTube or Facebook Live. Um, for 2 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, peace from God, 
the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we saw right off the bat that Paul is an emotional man. And Paul is willing to express his emotions. And Paul is connecting to Timothy in an emotional way. He's saying, man, I love you. You're, you're like a son to me. I appreciate you. And I'm praying that God would give you grace, mercy, and peace. And this is significant because Timothy was sort of a mess. He goes, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. So we see Timothy, he was, he was, he was crying. Why was he crying? We're going to find out he's not crying from sadness, although that's part of it. He's also crying from fear. He's got two different emotions that are warring within him. And we can assume from the context, the historical context of this book, of this letter that was written, that Timothy was afraid for himself because there was great persecution happening against the church. Christians were being tied to stakes and lit on fire as streetlights for the entertainment of the emperor and all of his buddies. They were being dressed up in animal skins and then they were being fed to wild animals and dogs, and they were being chased out of town and into the wilderness. So there's systemic persecution of the Christian faith going on at this time, and Paul is in prison writing this letter to Timothy. So Timothy has some fear for himself and for his father and the Lord, and he has some, I'm certain, some, some sadness because his father and the Lord is in prison. So he goes on that, that I may be filled with joy when I call remembrance to remembrance, the genuine faith that is in you. He's being an encouragement to Timothy, and he's making it very personal. He's not necessarily dismissing Timothy's fear. As a matter of fact, uh, he, he's doing quite the, the opposite of dismissing Timothy's emotions, isn't he? What is he saying? Uh, when someone gets emotional with you, probably the worst thing you can do is just dismiss their emotions. He's saying, I'm mindful of your tears. He's recognizing them, and he's going to take them on a little bit of a walk and remind Timothy of who he is, remind Timothy of his foundation, remind Timothy of the power that God has given to Timothy, and challenge Timothy to use it. Your faith dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded this faith is also in you. Therefore, I remind you, here we are, I'm going to remind you of who you are. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, and then verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, this cowardice, but of power and love and of a sound mind, and that is self-control. And so last week we kind of ended on this. It isn't automatic. It is not automatic. If you're someone here that struggles uh, with your emotions and you think that um, you're just going to automatically be better when you come to Jesus for salvation, it's not automatic. If you've created a habit in your life of losing your temper, of going off the deep end, we need to learn to recognize our emotional life and our thoughts before we lose our minds, before we lose control. So being saved and being a Christian does not automatically give you a sense of peace. If that were the case, the apostle wouldn't have written to Timothy to calm his fears. If we automatically got this sense of peace and this equilibrium and our emotions were immediately stabilized, right? Paul wouldn't have written to the church at Philippi, don't worry about anything, but take everything to God in prayer with supplication and thanksgiving, right? If peace and equilibrium were automatic in the Christian's life, Paul wouldn't have bothered writing 
these passages of Scripture. But it's not automatic. It takes some thought. It takes some prayer. It takes some directive from your reasoning center. So he wanted to remind, he wanted to remind Timothy that you are more than just your emotions. You are greater than this overwhelming fear. You have a foundation, and your foundation is Jesus Christ. You are more than just this flesh and blood. Yeah, you know what, Timothy? You may die. I may die. We're facing a, in, an insurmountable task here. But we don't have to give in to these negative emotions. We don't have to turn tail and run. We don't have to panic. God has not given us this spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. A sound mind means sound judgment. It means this, discernment. It means clarity and control. Clarity and control. Um, We as Christians, J. Vernon McGee shared this, he said, we as Christians should be disciplined rather than slaves to our emotions. A sound mind means discipline. In other words, uh, we were not created for defeat. We were created um, for victory. We're moved by our emotions. But we should, be not, we should not be completely motivated by our emotions. So when you see yourself losing control, uh, when, you, when you feel yourself beginning to lose control, the very beginnings, I talked about people that had a temper, Right? You, you get a really bad temper, you know you feel that stirring, right? You feel, we, we call it, like those of us that have bad tempers, you, you talk about your blood beginning to boil, anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Before it boils over, that's when you need to make the decision to be in control. Before it boils over. When Kirsten was in counseling, um, we talked about the spiral, And her counselor reminded her, um, sweetheart, you are in control of you. Now, before you hit the whirlpool and you start losing control, when when the very thought hits you, in the very beginning, that's when you need to take control. When you feel yourself losing control and giving into emotions, whatever they may be, without restraint, without reason, without spiritual influence, you're in danger of harming yourself and others. Emotional control and dealing with our emotions appropriately is a, it's absolutely essential to your testimony and to the health of your relationships, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing our faith. As I mentioned earlier, if you're completely out of control all the time, it, it harms your ability to relate to others. They see you coming and you know what they do? They duck, right? Um, so is there hope for us? Absolutely there's hope. Now I mentioned those of you that may be on medication. What a gift God has given you. It doesn't absolve you. It doesn't absolve you of responsibility. If you're on medication, guess what? You've just joined the ranks of the rest of us who still have to learn how to control ourselves. How to allow the reasoning center of our brain and the spiritual center of our being to lead and direct us. Okay, you follow me? Are we all tracking on the same page here? So there's hope. There's hope. You have been given 
the spirit of a sound mind, sound judgment, and self-control. God has created that ability within you. You have that. It is in your possession. It may not be exercised very well. And this is where we need to exercise. We need to practice. You've been given power. Um, maybe you have allowed yourself to follow your emotions your whole entire life, and no one has challenged you. I'm challenging you today. I'm challenging you today. And if you're a believer, I'm not only challenging you, but I'm telling you that you can exercise reason. You can exercise self-control. You can change. You can. Not only does the Bible tell us that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds, but science is catching up to the Bible and has discovered that the brain is neuroplastic and the brain can literally be changed. And one of the ways we change our brain is we change our thought process. And it's amazing to me that the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians says, hey, listen, I want you to dwell on these things. Whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, if there's good report. In other words, if there's good news, think on these things. And it literally means to dwell, to meditate on these things. He says in Hebrews chapter 12, For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. That word consider means to ponder deeply the person of Jesus Christ. We change our minds by changing our thoughts, by becoming aware of where those thoughts are taking us. I'm something of a hypochondriac. How many of you know that? I've got swollen glands today. They're right here and here. So you know what my thought process is? I'm dying of cancer. <laughs> you're all laughing, but this has literally been my thought process this whole weekend is, oh, you're probably, you're probably got cancer. And I, I actually have to take control of that thought and say, would you, st I face it and I replace it with this thought. If I got cancer, oh well. God will get me through it. And I'll lead this church, and I'll walk with him, and he'll walk with me. And, and we're going to be a blazing torch for Jesus Christ. Instead of letting it drive me into that whirlpool, where I would be going constantly thinking this, I go, if it doesn't go away in three or four days, I'll go to the doctor and see what he says. Now, you all laughed at me. That's my thought process. And I know some of you who are laughing, you're the same way. You wicked, evil hypocrites. Ultimately, the motivation for emotional security and stability is, is a God kind of love. I'm going to get into this later on, but I personally believe there is a hierarchy of emotions. And that love is the highest of them. And I'm going to explain to you why I believe that. Why love needs to be the ruler over all of our emotions. This is where we rounded things out last week. And, and what we're really talking about, when we talk about emotional health and emotional control as believers in Christ, is flesh versus fruit. When people that dismiss emotions, I want you to look at the bottom, underneath the yellow line, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
Long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's the last one? Self-control. So if you're the husband or wife and you're at home and you are flipping out and screaming at your kids and screaming at your wife, screaming at your husband, you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit, are you? Because the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. What are the works of the flesh? Look at the works now. And now, the, the three dots means that this is not a complete quote. There are other works of the flesh that line up with behavior and action. But what I wanted to bring up here was the fruit, uh, was the work of the flesh that is emotional. Hatred, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, wrath, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, envy. Does God have anything to say about emotions? Some say, why are you preaching on emotions, Pastor? Because God speaks about it. He thought it was important enough to inspire Paul to write a letter, not only to Timothy saying, hey, buddy, I know you're afraid. I get it. I feel for you. I understand what you're going through, Timothy, but you do not have to be controlled by your fear. I really believe Timothy was right on the edge I kind of feel like this. Someone sent Onesimus to Paul to tell Paul that Timothy was right on the razor edge of losing it. And so, so Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. He wrote this letter to the Galatians. Be careful of, of which spirit is leading you. The fallen, wicked spirit of this world, your flesh, or the Holy Spirit. Because to be spirit-led, get this now, to be spirit-led, is to be self-controlled. To be spirit-led means you're be, you are under control. Now, it's not just about anger. It's not just about fear. It's about lust. It's about inappropriate, air quotes, love. We talked about that. A man meets a woman. She's not, his, she's not his wife. His wife's at home. They're going through a hard time. Can you believe that married couples actually go through hard times? It's, I don't understand that. And yet it happens. They're going through a hard time. Maybe there's some coldness in their marriage. Maybe their physical romance has, has died off. They haven't placed enough importance on communication, but the intimacy has kind of uh, lost its, its uh, excitement. And there's this woman at work, and she starts to open up and share things with them. Maybe she's struggling, and she just sees this guy as somebody she can talk to. You know how you fell in love in the first place? Vulnerability, opening yourself up, sharing your story, right? He falls in love with this woman. She's not his wife. What should he do? Follow his heart. You follow how emotions can be deceived. They're wonderful. We need them. God gave them to us. They're a gift but they can be deceived. And so I came up with this thought. That is a, what is that up there on the screen? It's a thermostat, a thermostat. So I want you to understand your emotions, your feelings. Um, now, you, you see the thermostat, and then there's this, this thing right here. What is this little thing on the thermostat? A thermometer, right? So in our thermostats upstairs in the office, 
it says, as a matter of fact, their Wi-Fi, I could, I could pull it out right here on my, on my uh, phone, and um, I can tell you that upstairs in the office, the thermometer reads 74 degrees. It's hot upstairs. It's because we kind of fixed the heat so the gathering place, the lobby, now comes up to temperature. The problem with that is heat rises, and so it's hot in the offices on Sundays. Now, the thermostat is, the thermometer is telling me it's 74 degrees upstairs. Now, if I press on that button, I now have control of what's called the thermostat. Now, the thermometer is telling me one thing. It's telling me that it's 74 degrees. It's getting hot. Now, I need to use my reason to take control. Why is it getting hot? Why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why do I feel this way? What should I do about it? Not just follow and, and lose my mind and lose control. So now I look at the thermostat. The thermostat is the reasoning center of your brain. The thermostat is the spirit that is within you. The Holy Spirit ministering to your living spirit. That's the thermostat. That is your reason. You are made up of emotion, reason, and will, intellect. So now I look at my thermostat here. If I can get my phone to turn back on. And um, what I see is that my thermostat's set at 71. But at 74, something is, something's wrong. Now I've searched this out, so now I know what I need to do is I need to go over to my system and change it to cool. Hit submit, and now the AC is going to kick on upstairs, and it's going to regulate that temperature. That's a lot of, uh, it's a very good illustration of what's going on inside of our hearts and our heads. And the challenge for you this morning is to let your thermostat rule your life, not your thermometer. Your thermometer, your emotions, your feelings, listen, are they important? Absolutely. They give you information. They give you information about yourself. They give you information about others. And they give you information about circumstance. Now, if I'm falling in love with this woman who's not my wife, that's informing me of something, isn't it? That's telling me that maybe there's a, there's a problem in my heart because it is not godly for me to fall in a romantic love with someone who's not my wife. There's something wrong here. There's something in my heart that is being misdirected and, and misguided. And now I need to examine this and say, okay, so is there something wrong with my marriage relationship? Do I need to work on that? If I was romantically in love with my wife, maybe if I invested more in that relationship, this would not be happening. So emotions are helpful to us. Even those ones that we would, we would call negative, they inform us of, of maybe some steps that we need to take, but in order to take the right steps, we need our reason. We need the Holy Spirit. We need our living spirit to be all in connection. So emotions, they, they inform us about ourselves, people, circumstances, and we should bring them to bear with our spiritual self and use them well so that we can determine 
the appropriate course of action or behavior. Legalism makes me angry. The appropriate course of action is not to belittle the legalist. The appropriate course of action, although, but listen, <laughs> losing my temper and belittling legalists is like one of my favorite things to do. I enjoy it. I get a kick out of it. I think it's a blast that I'm wicked good at it because I'm a New Englander and I can say I'm wicked good at it and it's, it means something to you. I'm really good at belittling legalists. But if I want, listen, I'm angry and, and anger is stirred up by injustice and if I want to make a change in the legalist, if I want to make a change in these churches, if I want to help heal the hurting that have been wounded by them, being bitter and caustic is not helpful. So that anger, it's, it's good. It makes me realize, hey, there's something wrong here. There's an injustice here. Now it informs me. Now I need to reason with my spirit and with God's spirit and say, what is the best course of action? Is it losing my temper? Or is it building my influence? Am I more persuasive when I belittle and dress someone down? Or am I more persuasive when I speak passionately with them and explain to them the evils of legalism, how it strips the Christian of grace and joy and peace? Which way should I go? So you see, emotions are wonderful as thermometers, terrible as thermostats. Now, I want to give you another example of fear and reason. Oh, look at the puppy. He's a good little boy. Um, <laughs> fear is a relatively healthy emotion if it's used well, isn't it? Isn't it? How many of you love dogs? I love dogs. You know, when I'm playing with Edgar, Trisha hates this, but when I'm playing with Edgar, we wrestle really intensely. And he'll get growling, like really, he sounds like he wants to rip your throat out. But I know my dog, and I'm playing with my dog, and his tail is wagging away because he's thinking of how good I'm going to taste when he takes a bite out of me. No, he's, you know, we start, we are pulling, and I'm slapping him, and he's hitting me with his paws, and he's trying to grab the thing out of my hand, and he's like, and then I'm growling back at him because that's fun. I'm like, and I get right in his face, and, and Trisha hears it from the living room, and she's like, well, you stop it. I don't like that. I'm like, yes, dear. And um, my brother's dog, though, Tracy's dog, his dog's nasty. What's his dog's name? Do you remember? Max? No. I forget his dog. But he, he shows his teeth and he growls. But Tracy treats him just like I treat Edgar because we know our dogs. But you know what? If you're, if you're walking down the street and you meet a dog like that, is fear a healthy emotion? What do you think? I, I love dogs. If a dog's coming at me like that, I'm going to be a little bit afraid. You know, if the dog's coming at me and his tail is wagging, he's like, <laughs> I'm not afraid at all. Peter, on the other hand, he's like, get the dog away from me. Get the dog away from me. And the dog just wants to give him a big kiss. That's an unreasonable fear. I have reasonable fear. You see the dog coming at you. Drool is dripping out of its mouth. Its teeth are out. And it's like, Fear is a great emotion, but fear must be governed by, what's the next word? Reason. Now, I know i got some dog experts in this church, 
dog starts chasing you, what is your first instinct? Run. Is that your first instinct? Run. Now, I did research on this. I enjoy doing research. I did research on this. You know the number one thing dog experts tell you not to do? Says it. Don't run. Do not run. All of the websites I checked, I mean, I checked the Dog Whisperer to the to the uh, to CBS News that did an article on this. To, I mean, I checked all these different articles. I did bears too, by the way. It's almost the same thing. Because you got some, you got brown bears around here and black bears. And, and so one of the first things they always say, every single one. You ready? You're afraid. Don't run. Don't run. Your fear is going to tell you something completely different. So let me ask you a question. At that moment in time, is your emotion a good guide? It's informing you of something. It's a thermometer. It's telling you, hey, you have something to be afraid of here, and so you should act. But how you should act should be governed by your reason, by your spirit. Again, this is a physical example, and you can apply it to all different aspects in your life. When you know what you should do, it changes things. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're here and you get that bad temper and you know that you lose your temper regularly, you should address that before you lose your temper. Consider, what makes me lose my temper? Getting home, the kids don't do their homework. I lose my temper. You know it's going to happen, by the way, because you've trained your kids not to do your homework, their homework until you lose your temper. You've trained them that way, it's your fault. Don't run. Remain calm and still. This is the other thing they said. Be a tree. Don't wave your arms. Don't be threatening. Be big. So stand tall and lean forward and be big because they don't want anything to do with something that's going to hurt them. So you be big. Um, once he calms down, you can back away slowly, but don't turn your back. Fear is saying, run away, run away, run away, run away. But if fear is directed by reason, fear says, oh, face him, face him, face him. Back away slowly. Another thing that's interesting, they say don't smile and show your teeth because that to the dog is interpreted as an act of aggression. So normally, like, oh, what a good little puppy. They're like, he wants to bite me. So, again, reason. And as Christians, as Christians, we have the advantage of having a living spirit that was imparted to us by God that is connected to his Holy Spirit. And we can be spirit-led in these things. We can rehearse before the moment strikes. You know, since I did this study, I'm now fully informed on what I need to do if I'm confronted with an angry dog, if I should ever get the discipline to go running again. I know what I need to do. I'm informed ahead of time. I know the fear is going to rise up. It's like a gorge in your stomach, and it rises up, and you feel that bile coming up your throat, and you're just like, I know now. So, 
what do we do? We need to learn how to be aware of what's influencing us, be aware of our reactions before we allow us, ourselves to spiral out of control. We need to be ready to shift. What is the Spirit telling me? What is reasonable in this circumstance? Be ready to say no to your immediate reaction. Now, I'm not saying that your immediate reaction is always the wrong one. You know whether your immediate reaction is always the wrong one. And if that's you, you can kind of set up a list. Don't react. Don't react. Pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to influence you. Invite the Holy Spirit to move you and to guide you and direct you. And be ready to shift. See, our emotions are both harmful and helpful. When we have uh, behaved in a way that is counter to Christ, we can absolutely be certain that our emotions are in control and the Spirit, we're pushing Him away. If that's become a habit, we need to create a new habit. When we scream and we yell and we belittle and we weep uncontrollably and unconsolably, we can be aware that perhaps we need to shift our thoughts to our foundation in Christ. How do we do this? We need to build our belief in Him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. We need to take time daily to worship Him. Um, Ronnie Floyd, he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote a book, I think, 10 Most Important Things for the Minister. And one of the things that he said was, the power of one hour transformed his life, his ministry. And the power of one hour was simply this, spending time separated from everyone with God in, just a, in, 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 a, in a season of worship and prayer. He'd start his day that way. Now, most of us that, that aren't pastors taking the power of one hour in the morning, you're looking at me like you're out of your flipping mind. You don't live the life I live. I will say this, that God built into the human race the need for a Sabbath. We need one day a week to recharge emotionally, intellectually, physically. We were built that way. We weren't built to go seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But taking some time every day to simply reacquaint yourself with God, to connect your living spirit to his Holy Spirit, to pray, to sing, maybe to read some of the scriptures and listen to him speaking to you, helps you to uh, reestablish your emotional equilibrium. So that's the beginning. This is the beginning. First of all, believe it. Believe it. You actually can take control. Believe it. God has given you a gift of power. And, and again, love, the hierarchy of emotion, love, and of a sound mind. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. Self-control. And so if you're living on that edge, you're on that ragged edge like, like Timothy possibly was as we investigated that passage. What did Paul do to Timothy? He reminded him, Timothy, 
Take control. Use your reason, the sound mind, discernment, judgment. Don't put your discernment, don't put your judgment in the back seat. Listen, as easy as it is, and I arguably am a super emotional guy. Um, really emotional. I'm the guy that cries at movies, right? Um, we're watching this show. Trish and I were watching this show last night, and we got about, I think we got into the second episode of the series. I forget what it's called. And um, it started out with an 11-year-old boy had been murdered. And we're going through, I'm watching this, and I'm just like, I can't watch this. Because Nate just turned 12. And I'm, so all I'm thinking about is, like, I, I, how, how, how could you live with that? And I was really getting emotional. I was getting worked up, and I'm like, man, I can't watch this show. I just can't do it. I'm an emotional guy. And if I'm not careful... I chase after my emotions, and it ruins my day sometimes. It'll ruin my week. It'll ruin a month if I'm not spirit-led. And so that's the challenge, folks. We're going to sing one last song. It's called Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. When Paul addressed Timothy concerning his emotional health, his emotional well-being, one of the things that Paul took the time to point out with Timothy is you're not alone. I'm on your side. I'm praying for you, Timothy. And Timothy, I want you to remember you are a child of God. And He has given you the tools you need to get through this. You're a child of the king. And so embrace your heritage. Embrace your advantage. And learn to be spirit-led. Learn to use your emotions as a thermometer to inform you, to guide you in a certain way, but not with the absence of reason, of your intellect, of your living spirit. Hey all, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing. <laughs>